you are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Good morning. My name is Eric Anderson, and I'll be reading, reading Romans 8, 1 through 11. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened for the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of the sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires, but those who live in the accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who controlled, who, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Awesome. Thanks, Eric, so much. Hey, Tyler, could you just turn me down just a little bit? That would be awesome. So we need to talk about things that are obsolete things that we don't really use anymore. And I just need to do a little precursor today. Please don't be offended if I talk about something as obsolete that you have in your house, okay? Can we just like all agree we can all be friends? So number one, I don't think you agree. You're kind of looking at me like you're not sure. So we'll just go with that. It's fine. So thing number one, overhead projector. So back in the day, if you said that you were running slides at church, this is what we were talking about. There was like a little transparency, and as the song went, you like slid it up a little higher, and when your dad was the pastor, you got in trouble because you did bunny ears when it was, Lord, I lift your name on high. So I don't recommend doing that if you don't want your toys taken away, all right? So overhead projector, that's one that we don't really use uh, anymore. Another thing uh, that's obsolete, anybody remember these? I mean, I mean, maybe some of us maybe still have them. You might have a car that has a CD player in it, and so, you know, but music has kind of gone the way of digital, you know, a little bit, but man, I had a huge one of these in high school in my 1979 sparkly brown Chrysler Newport. Yes, I missed that car. You got 45 miles an hour, and it started to shake like that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and then what else do we have? Oh, yeah, a little disc action, okay? So, you know, the computers we have now doesn't work that day. I remember playing Oregon Trail, you know, on this little disc. They also, just so you know, this is free. This isn't in the message today. This is free. Um, they have an Oregon Trail game, a card game that's out, okay? So as the spirit leads, okay? So 
that's going on. What else do we have? Oh, yes. Cassette players. Yes, totally. All these tapes, right? What's awesome about tapes is you could, like, rewind them with a pencil, you know? So that's just kind of a, I miss kind of having those. And if you had a tape player, you know, you could, like, listen to the radio and record your favorite song, like, men in there, right? And so it's like, oh, this song is coming up. So you'd be ready to, like, hit record on that deal. So that's before Napster and all that, but that's fine. Uh, also, this one makes me sad. I just have to say, you know, like, no more, like, Friday night, let's go to Blockbuster and let's see what movies they have, right? And see if there's multiple copies of the movie that we're really wanting, right? And so that's, yeah, that breaks my heart just a little bit. That was a big highlight of my life growing up. And then we got to talk about this. It's a slide you could grill hamburgers on <laughs> in the summer. Obsolete. No more of these kinds of slides. Burn, third degree burns uh, on your legs. So Paul writes this book, this letter to this church, and the church is in Rome. Now, Paul's not in Rome when he writes it. Paul's in Corinth. And so he writes it really for a couple reasons. The, the reason that Paul needs to write this church in Rome is because they're fighting with each other. So I know that's shocking that a group of people would not get along, but there were Jews and non-Jews in the same church. People who came to some different conclusions about things. And Paul had to write to help them understand, like, hey, this is what it's going to mean for you all to live together. This is what it's going to mean to worship God. This is what it's going to mean to carry an identity that goes beyond what is within you. You have an identity that comes from above, not an identity that comes from below. And so he's going to write to them uh, about that. And so he goes on this missionary journey. So I'll kind of show you. So there's three mission, major missionary journeys that Paul takes. These are not vacations. These are not short trips. As you can see, he goes all over the place. So I've got a nice little north star where Corinth is. And you can see where Jerusalem is. So this is what's happened to the gospel message, right? You know, he says in the book of Acts, right, that all the, the spirit of God's going to be poured out on people and you're going to be my witnesses all to the ends of the earth. And so that promise has become true because he's traveled all the way, he's all the way now in, in Corinth. And kind of the context of the letter is, you know, that Nero is in charge of the Roman world, and, and Rome is, is really ruling the world. Like, the, the best way for us to kind of understand the impact and the power and the position of Rome is, like, today, if you took Los Angeles, like, New York City, and you took Paris, and you took London, and you put them all together, that's Rome in the ancient world. Like the center of the universe, the center of power, the center of art, the center of science, the center of all life. And there's a church that has sprung up in that place. And Paul needs to talk to them about life in the kingdom of God. Paul says that there's something that's going to be obsolete now, though. And it's not going to be a floppy disk. It's not a metal death slide, its condemnation is obsolete. So Paul says, 
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like it's obsolete. It's not the way for us to to live in and under this sentence of condemnation any longer because of why? Because of the life to death and the resurrection of Jesus. That he's entered into human history and something beautiful has happened in and through his life. And he has brought hope. He has brought renewal. He has brought restoration. And so we're not to be using these things that are obsolete, but there is a new way for us. So don't live according to the old pattern. Live according to the new pattern. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen a building that had this sign over it. Like maybe it's a house, like you're in a neighborhood, and and something's happened to the building. And the building has been condemned. Like it's no longer safe to inhabit that building. And a way of understanding, I think, condemnation is that like the story in that place is over. Like there's going to be no more Easter brunches in that house. No more July 4th barbecues in the backyard. No more birthday parties. No more Christmas Eves. Like no more first day of school and we set all the backpacks out and the outfits and everything's ready to go. Like that's not going to happen in a house that's been condemned anymore. No more like, you know, getting ready for prom and so we're going to take you in the pictures, you know, and like no more of that. Like the story over a building that has been condemned is over. And Paul wants to tell the church in Rome, all the way from Corinth, and he wants to tell us that it's possible for this label, this sentence of condemnation, not to be placed over an address, 1422 South 2nd. No, it can be placed over our very lives. To live in a posture, in a way, that like, hey, like the story here is over. Like it's done. And I just think it's possible in this room today for the person that you're sitting next to that they felt that this year. And don't get smart with me. If you're sitting alone, just go with it, okay? I think that's possible in the place today. I think it would be easy to walk into a church and say, well, well, no, we don't feel that way. We've not felt that. We... But in a moment of honesty, for all of us to say, yeah, there's, I've walked through stuff. And I've lived under this sentence of condemnation. And I've felt as if, like, my story's done. Like, it's not ever going to be any different. Like, this is just going to be the kind of the way that it's going to be. And I have to kind of come to terms with it. Paul says, because of Jesus, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, there is now, therefore, no condemnation. The original language is really beautiful when you pull apart Romans 8 because it says, not one condemnation. I love that part. Not a single one. Not one condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.
And so I think it's just important for us to just understand today that the chances are good that we've encountered days and moments this past year where we have felt that God's purposes and promises for me, like they no longer stand. Like there was a time when I felt and experienced that God's purposes and promises for me, like yes and amen. But that day is not now. I think it's possible that we would come around the idea that we're, you know, we're nothing more than our worst moment. And there's this sentence of condemnation that has been placed not over where we live, but over our very lives. And to come to a place where you believe that, you know, the story kind of ends here for me. It's a dead end. It's a cul-de-sac. I think it's important for us to, to think about, like, well, why is condemnation so powerful? Like, why is it so powerful? One of the reasons it's so powerful is because it's been a part of our story for a long time. Like, we've lived under this sentence of condemnation, going all the way back, a lot of us going all the way back to when we we're children and feeling like on the outside of things and that we've been condemned, that we've, there's the label that has been placed over our lives. It's not one that is included, but one that is condemned. I, I think that it's powerful because we're human, and humans are going to give the evil one opportunities to speak condemnation over us. And so the Bible talks about that as sin. And I think it can be helpful to also think about that as because we're humans, because we are broken, because we are going to make mistakes, those mistakes serve as opportunities for the evil one to speak words of accusation and judgment and condemnation over us. In many ways, we will give the evil one opportunities. We will set the golf ball on the tee and we'll hand them the club. And so it's powerful for us been a part of our story for a long time and because we are broken people who are waiting the book of Romans Paul will say we're waiting in groans for renewal for healing for grace and then verse 2 we find that Paul wants to talk about the old way of things. He wants to say that there's a new way that has come in, in Jesus, but there's an old way too. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. So there's an old way of living. Like there's there's been a freedom that has come to me because of Jesus Christ. The law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And Paul's somebody who knows about laws. Like, he, he grew up in Judaism. And if you read through the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, there's command after command after command after command after command. And you can count them up, and it's like 613 of them-ish that are recorded. And there's even laws that aren't recorded in that 613. So there's even more than that. And Paul wants to talk about that as a place 
that did not serve him well in understanding this gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants to say, like, hey, like, the Torah, like, it's not garbage. Like, we shouldn't just, like, throw it out. It's just not the Savior. Because what Jesus had, this kind of stinks, just so you know. Didn't think that through. But I'm going to put it right here, actually. It's there if I need to puke. No, it's all good. But Paul wants the church in Rome to understand this. Like, there is a freedom that Jesus has made possible for him. And so we're not going to throw out the rules. We're not going to throw out Torah. But Torah is not the Savior. And so knowledge about God is really important. It's really powerful. It's amazing that we can study God. And we can know things about him. And we can grow in our understanding. Like what a beautiful thing. We've got kids right now in kids ministry who are learning about God. And they're going to grow in their understanding about God. But it's really important that we understand that knowledge, it's not garbage, but it's not the Savior. And like the Bible reading plan that we have for 2022, like that's amazing to have one. It's amazing to walk in that flow. I recommend it. I would say to you, I do not recommend trying to read the Bible in a year. I would recommend reading it in three years. It's kind of like a meal that you just eat too fast and then you're sorry later is a little bit. That's a, that's a little bit of an aside. But there's so much there, so much to absorb. Like, so it's great to do that. But like, that's not the Savior. There's a freedom that Jesus has brought, Paul, that the law didn't. And so he has to change the way that he's thinking about all of this. Even doing in Jesus' name. It's not garbage. It's just not the Savior. That Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who has set us free from the law of sin and death. And then in verse 5, he'll say, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set set on what the Spirit desires. So it just like brings up this question for me. Like what does the Spirit desire? Because Paul says like, Paul asks that same question. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. There's a couple things that I think the Spirit desires. Number one, I think the Spirit desires that we would operate in freedom. And you may say, well, like, well, where do you get that from? Uh, Jesus' miracles. All over in the scriptures, Jesus is performing miracles. He's turning water into wine. He's helping people who could not walk, walk. He's helping people who could not see, see. And what's the point of that? Like to show that Jesus is powerful? I don't know. If you're trying to prove that you're powerful, you only have to do something once. But he shows up again and again and again and again so that people could walk in freedom. But what happens to us as followers of Jesus is that we think that freedom is something that's going to come later. Like someday. 
like when we go to heaven. But Jesus disagrees with you if that's how we think of it. Because he continues to show up in people's lives so that they might experience freedom, not like, hey, don't worry, Daryl, you're going to get to see someday in heaven. You'll be healed, don't worry. I don't think we have a Daryl in here. That's just the name that was in my mind. No, he heals him so he can see on earth. Is that not amazing? Like the freedom's not for then, the freedom's for now. And like the little boy in Luke chapter 7, there's a funeral for a little boy, and Jesus interrupts, it's in a town called Nain, and Jesus interrupts the funeral, and he touches the little boy, and he raises him to life. He doesn't turn to the mother and say like, don't worry, in my coming kingdom, in heaven, he's going to be alive. Don't cry. He's going to be alive. No. He makes him alive then and there. Why? Because part of what the Spirit desires as we see in and through the life of Jesus is freedom in Jesus' name. So that's what the Spirit desires. And then the second thing, that we would operate in freedom, but also that we would live in truth. And where do we see that? How do you know that? Well, that's what we see in the teachings of Jesus. Like there's this whole hook that Jesus uses throughout the whole New Testament. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Like you've heard it said, this is the way that life is, but actually I'm telling you, this is like how it is. You lived according to this way, but now I'm teaching you a more excellent way, a better way, a fuller way, a way that is more true. So the desire of the Spirit in our lives, church, is that we would walk in freedom and that we would walk in truth. And we're going to talk about the role of the Spirit. So in the book of John, chapter 16, this is like at the end of the life of Jesus. He's having these kind of last conversations with his disciples. That's what we're going to be walking through at Easter time for all of Lent. We're going to be doing these like last conversations that Jesus has with his disciples. And just a little precursor. I'm not going to ruin anything for you, so don't worry about it. But it says this, chapter 16, verse 5, Now I'm going to him, this is Jesus talking, who sent me, yet none of you asked me where are you going, because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin. So, like, that's part of the role of the Spirit. Notice the words, though, church. It does not say the Spirit comes to condemn the world of their guilt. To place a sentence of death on the building. No more Easter brunches. No more hanging stockings. No more barbecues. No more birthday parties. No more petting zoo in the front yard. I don't know if we still do that, but they do in Mrs. Doubtfire, so it just kind of came in my mind. No, like, it's not going to condemn us. So conviction is something that's different than condemnation. But far too often, we receive those as though they belong together on our plate. The Spirit comes to convict us of sin 
And this is like John 3.16, right? So for God so loved the world that he gave. That was what was most precious to him, his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not die, but we would have eternal life. We should keep reading, because in verse 17, it gets even more awesome. Verse 17 says that Jesus did not come into the world to what? To condemn the world, but what? To save the world through him. So Paul's like, hey, do you believe that? If you believe that, there's now no more condemnation. It's obsolete. You're not living under that sentence. Because you can't hold John chapter 3 and Romans chapter 8. One has to be true. There's no more condemnation. But it's not the only thing that the Spirit convicts us of, which I think is so beautiful and awesome. Yes, we're convicted of sin, but can I show you something else that's really cool? And I nerded out on it this week for a really long time. It's a little embarrassing. In, convict us in regard to sin and righteousness. So the Spirit not only convicts us of sin, but the Spirit convicts us of righteousness. Like this is the son of mine, son of the king, daughter of the king, one who belongs. So the spirit is also going to do that. Desires that we operate in freedom, we live in truth, and then it's going to convict us of sin, but it's also going to convict us of righteousness. And can I just tell you that I think for some of us in the room, we do a really good job being convicted of sin. If it's a treadmill, We've been on that treadmill our entire stinking life. We've had to buy new shoes so many times on that thing. But I can, can I tell you what my conviction is? I will even if you don't want me to. My conviction is that we've not been convicted of all of righteousness. And we've missed why Jesus has come. If that's true. How beautiful that the Spirit, in the same moment, in the resurrection, has come so that we might be convicted of sin and righteousness. And then if you keep reading in John chapter 16... Verse 9, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So who's the one that stands condemned? It's not us, it's him. The evil one, Satan, the accuser. He's the one that stands condemned. So can I just tell you, like, the reason why the evil one speaks condemnation over you, the reason why he says you're condemned, is that's because that's what he is. He's the one that's condemned. Not you. Because of John chapter 3. Because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We're convicted, not condemned. And condemnation comes out of guilt, but conviction comes out of grace. 
Condemnation causes us to conceal. Like if we feel condemned, it causes us to hide, to cover it up. But conviction causes you to confess, like to be honest, say yes. Yes, that was me. Yes, I have been walking in that way. Condemnation leads us to remorse, to like feel bad. But conviction leads us to repentance. It's this idea in the scriptures of not feeling bad, but of turning around and walking in a different way. I invite the band up as we close this morning. And that's going to be really key for us in 2022. That we can have some clarity about condemnation and about conviction. And we can find our feet on the right treadmill, the treadmill that actually brings us into freedom, rather than a treadmill that keeps us trying harder and doing better and up and down, up and down. It's, under, it's necessary for us to understand that condemnation comes out of guilt. And it causes us to conceal. And it leads to remorse. But conviction comes out of grace. And it leads to confession and repentance. And in the Garden of Eden, like where this story all began in Genesis chapter 3, condemnation is woven into the story from the very beginning. But can I tell you in the scriptures, there's another garden? It's the place that Jesus is buried in a tomb. It's known today as the garden tomb. And praise Jesus that Eden is not the only garden in the scriptures. Because the garden tomb is where Jesus is raised to life. And at that place, some people talk about it as Calvary, in that place, condemnation is woven out of the story. So Paul can say with all of the truth of his heart, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is there conviction? You bet. Paul's experienced that. That's why he can write about it. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's also important, as we talk about that today, that in the resurrection, it's important for us to understand that in God sending his son, God is not condemning Jesus. God is condemning sin. And those are, that's a really important distinction. God's not turning his back on Jesus. God's dealing with sin. The thing that has separated the people that he loves from him. Like if there's something that's separating you from the thing, the person that you love most, you would do anything to remove that barrier and that's what Jesus does. That's what happens to Jesus but here's what I love, that in the resurrection, Jesus holds open house for a building once condemned. But that's what happens. Because yes, there has been a 
a sentence that has been placed over the building of our lives. But in the resurrection, in Jesus' victory over the grave, he's like, oh, no, no, no. You guys thought that, like, there's no more Easter brunches, didn't you? Oh, you guys thought that, like, there's no more Fourth of July barbecues in the backyard. You thought that, like, we're not taking pictures in front of the fireplace anymore on Christmas Eve. Like, oh, you thought, like, there's no more birthday parties. Like, come into my victory. Like, I'm holding open house. Like, there's going to be more Easter brunches than you can even count more birthday parties than you could even intend. This is why I've come. So that there would be victory, so that there would be more, so that you would not lie in condemnation, but you'd lie in conviction. And that conviction leads to change and renewal and blessing. And it leads to more people understanding that (laughs) there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me give you some advice, church, if you're thinking about a treadmill for 2022. Get off the condemnation treadmill. It's not going to lead you anywhere good. And it's something that we're very practiced in. We have a Jesus who's holding open house. And inside of the open house, there's a treadmill, just so you know. But it's a treadmill called conviction, where the Spirit of God will convict us of, yes, of our sin, but also of righteousness because of what he's done. We pray, Lord Jesus, we thank you today for the blessing of your word. Thank you so much for joining us on the Invitation Church podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message that you just heard and receive every part of it. Every promise from God, every declaration of his great love for you, every word of hope, every reminder that you have been made for more. Allow what you've heard to take root in your soul to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. I also want to encourage you to be part of what we are doing here at Invitation as we invite people to live the way of Jesus. Go to the app and become a regular giver, an investor in the story that God is writing in this place. Also, if you found the message meaningful, we'd love to have you share it with someone else as you partner with us in carrying the message beyond the walls of the church. I want to thank you for being here with us. Grace and peace.